right, everybody. Welcome to this week's Learning the Tropes. I'm Erin. And I'm Clayton. And I'm your romance novel veteran. And I'm the Virgin. And we're your host. This week we read Joanna Shoup's Prince of Broadway. Uh, we read Tycoon last month. And I realized I had ha- made a grave oversight in that this is a wonderful book with a hero named Clayton and we hadn't read it yet. So we needed to rectify that immediately. Yes. But what did you think? Because you were be- like hesitating a bit. Oh, hesitating a bit. How? About, did you like the book? Did you read it? Oh, of you course. You read it, I... obviously. We wouldn't be here if you didn't read it. <laughs> Can you imagine well, you showed up here like, oh, it's been busy week. I, I didn't read this book. So I, yeah. let's just talk about the weather. Was there any point in this podcast's history that you thought I would not read a book? Like not finish a book? How many episodes in before you're like, oh, Clayton's going to read every single one of these? No, like immediately I knew you were going to read all the books. Because I know you to be a rule follower. And I know if I give you a task, then you would complete the task. Because that's your personality. There's never going to be you just getting too busy or not feeling like it. Like you, you, if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. You're a man of your word. Oh, well, that's nice to know. Mm -hmm. Um. So I did, I read this book in one day. Whoa. Which I rarely do. Most of the time I, it takes a couple days to read it. I mean, if you read a a romance straight through, usually you can get through it in a couple hours, but I, I, most of the time I'm reading in between other things and, and, and stuff. But I had some, a big chunk of time and I was just sitting, I just sat down and I read this book the whole way through and I love being able to read a book the whole way through because that way, you, when you pick it back up, you don't have to think, oh, wait, who's this person and where were they and what just happened? Mm-hmm. Because there's so much going in and out of your head with, you know, the news, but also all the other media that you ingest at one time. It's like if you're not watching a TV show, you're listening to a podcast or you're watching a movie or you're doing this or that. So it was nice to just have that like straight trunk of time to live with these characters. And I'll get into what I thought about this book, okay. but I should say what it's about first. Well, let's judge this cover first. Oh, that's right. Where am I all here? Okay. So this cover is pink and <laughs> on it, Florence is in a very long white dress and Clayton doesn't look the way I thought Clayton would look. No, Clayton, this is a faux Clayton. Clayton is a lot less uh, conventionally handsome as this fellow. He also has scars mm-hmm. on his face. He's a beast, too. He's a yeah, pretty he's big giant. dude. Yeah, he like scares so, people with his bulk. Yeah, so this is a sanitized version, I think, of Clayton on the cover mm-hmm. here. Not that I didn't like it. I mean, obviously, it screams romance. And yeah. it. I wish there was. it evoked New York a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just me. What did you, you think? You wish everything could evoke new york a little bit more yeah they read oliver twist and i was like i wish there was more new york they should be kissing on the six train on the six like jennifer lopez yeah no i love this cover i think it's beautiful i agree this is not my clayton but i think it's a great representation of florence and i think when you look also at all of these covers together the uptown girls series they all are pretty much two people in this exact stance. Um, gorgeous dresses, like beautiful, very evocative. I think it's a I think it's a wonderful cover. But I agree this is not Clayton. No. Are we saying that right, Clayton? Are we saying that name right? Did you I'm... go on YouTube to listen to the name? Well they also call him Clay, so we could call him Clay to differentiate him from you. Yeah, I also go by Clay, but it doesn't I, I'm I don't care what someone calls me I, I don't have a preference really I think a lot of people call me Clay and some people call me Clayton and it 
I never have a preference. This is like probably prime time for people to call me Clay because they just have so many other more important things to do than say my whole name. So, Clayton, what was this book about? This book was about Clayton Madden, who runs a gambling hell, a very, very prosperous gambling hell. And Florence Green is a woman who shows up at the gambling hell, and no women are allowed. But she is being allowed to come in because he is so smitten by her from afar that he's kind of thinking, well, what's she planning to do? And what she's planning to do is start her own gambling hell, which is for women only. And she wants to work underneath him, he, he, to figure (laughs) out how to do it and how to do it well, because he's so super successful. Now, unbeknownst to her, Clayton's driving force and the reason he has become so successful is because he wanted to get revenge on Florence's father, Duncan, for something that we find out towards the end uh, as to what Duncan actually did. So this is... Florence and Clayton working together and then go coming apart because of a, a perceived betrayal by Clayton, which we can talk if it probably is. It's pretty much is an actual betrayal. And there's dirty cops involved and her sisters are involved and her grandma's involved. But I mean, they end up together. We know this. Spoiler alert. But that's <laughs> the basic plot of this book. Mm hmm. So what did you think? So I liked it. I definitely liked it. But it's as a Craven King. (laughs) Clayton came off a little bit like, and this might be unfair, but a watered down version of Derek. It's the gambling hell thing. It's the coming from nowhere. I mean, Clayton wasn't born in a in a drainage pipe, but he he came from a poor family who lost their house because spoiler alert, Duncan bought the bought all the houses and ripped them down and then unbeknownst to Duncan, the company he was working with did not pay a, fa- a fair market value for the houses, so they all had to live uh, so Clayton's family had to live in squalor. His brother died of cholera. And so Clayton never forgave Duncan Green for this. And it's been his driving force forever to ruin this man, even after he meets Florence. And so that was the thing is like, even like Clayton had the scars on him. And the the thing that separates those two, and I think the reason why I like Derek more is because Clayton was so consumed with single-minded revenge and he was wily about it and he does get his revenge but then kind of reneges on it out of love for Florence but it seemed I don't want to say it seemed petty because he was made destitute but Duncan did not even know that this guy hated him so much. So Clayton was working in the shadows, just all this hate directed at somebody who did not even know of his existence, which I, 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 it's not cowardly. It just seemed like a waste of a, almost a waste of a life. Now he's getting a second chance because he's in love and he's going to be with Florence. But there is a part of me that felt like he was, a little bit of a pathetic character as opposed to a character you could take pride in being named after. <laughs> as you were named after Clayton Madden. Yes, because I am, when was this published? I am one years <laughs> old. <laughs> I'm, I'm less than a year old. <laughs> <laughs> it was December 30th, 2019. So you are like, uh, I don't know I'm, what month I'm is a it? few You're months. Seven I'm, months. I, I'm seven months old. 
So take what I say with a grain of, of salt, because I just learned how to talk. You just found your hands. Yeah, I cannot ago, so walk. So it's been tough. No. I crawl. That's all I do. <laughs> you don't... Seven months? Oh, yeah. Seven months, I guess. Yeah. I scoot. Uh, I scoot on my butt. <laughs> and I can hold myself up. I I can hold my head up. And I can sit up. And I can hold myself up against the table for a while. But then I just don't know where to go from there. Yeah. You'll learn. You're alone. So, so again, that's where I'm coming from as a seven-month-old. What yeah, did you... Yeah, what yeah. did you Though you you love this book, what did you like? What do you think of of my opinion of it? Because I I breezed through this book. I I really enjoyed this book. I think I mean Joanna Shoup's a great author. The characters were well drawn. There was tension. The sex was super hot. Like we'll talk about that that uh, voyeur scene, the peep mm-hmm. show scene. That's like an all timer. But there was that thing that disconnected me. What What do you think? I think, I think it's hard, obviously, to compare any hero to Derek Craven because you're only going to come up wanting. And yeah, so it's like, yeah, is Clayton Madden Derek Craven? No. Is anyone? No. I think... Reading this book a second time, I feel, was wonderful because it's it's rare that I read a, a book cover to cover for a second time. Normally, even if it's a book I love, I go in for scenes that I like or I'll start at a certain point. But reading this whole thing cover to cover, I felt like I got so much more that I didn't get the first time. I agree that his revenge was silly. Like going after somebody for 20 years to the point where you would basically destroy every other aspect of your life is silly, but so is revenge itself is silly. I don't necessarily think that they're, I think that that's more what she's doing is saying like, Something can happen in your childhood. Something can happen to you when you're small. And this was a big thing because basically his family was made homeless. His father left as a result of it. His brother died. Those are giant formative experiences. And that you would assign those giant formative experiences to a boogeyman in the form of Duncan Green or whoever. And then have your entire life be set up around vanquishing this person that you don't know who doesn't know you to the detriment of sort of everything is bad but also becomes a driving force because he this need for revenge also propelled him to work hard to run this casino to make it the biggest casino to get everyone in the city in his pocket to make himself be uh, the person that he ended up being. So it's sort of that double-sided of revenge. But I was reading on Goodreads like a bunch of d- reviews and I felt like that kept coming up as like, it's it's kind of doesn't make sense. Like why does then he want, like, his form of revenge is basically buying Florence's father's mother, his, her grandmother's house, which is a house that sort of Duncan Green was raised in because Clayton sees that as a tit for tat. And it's not, and it doesn't make sense, and it's not really the same, but I got it as a character motivation, and I totally understood why that would be the thing that he would go after. Oh, yeah. I I don't think that – I think that makes total sense. It Uh was – his childhood home was razzed to the ground by Duncan. He was displaced, and so he wants to do the same thing to Duncan – which it is later in life. He, they, the, the other thing is that Duncan's mom has so many other places she can go. She just likes that the best. And it actually ends up right. being more of a blow to Florence because Florence doesn't want to get married. She, want, she wants to start a gambling hell and live in that house because that's where she could always go because her family looked at her as as the outlier, right? She wasn't the one who kind of fit in. 
and she wanted to be an independent woman and not get married. So that would have been her shelter. That would have been her home away from home. And then she was like, well, if I don't have that house, I'll just have to live on the on the top of my gambling hell. And that'll be a whole different story. I mean, with Florence, Florence was she was at no risk of having a quote unquote bad life. She was just uh, she was at risk of having an unfulfilled life, which is bad. But she would always have money and she would always have a place to go. Which I think may rub me a little bit wrong. Like Florence has a lot of privilege and it and it made me kind of like I like that she was independent, but it's the independence that you can have when you are rich. Mm-hmm. You know, but of course, being a woman at that time, not fun, lots of dangers. You have to get married or you're looked at as she even says in this book, like, I wanted to be ruined so that I didn't have to worry about all this stuff. But she does have like a place to go and she'll never be poor. She'll never be poor. But this is like, you you know, literally a hundred years before women were able to um, get a loan by themselves or credit by themselves. So... Yeah, if Florence didn't marry, she her father is like a loving father and would always take care of her. But it's not like she would ever have control or independence in her own life. So, yeah, if, if the risk is starving to death on the street, it's like, yeah, Florence has it better. And Florence is definitely very pri- privileged. And I don't think entirely aware of her privilege, but I do understand why her looking at her life you know, the life that she was about to go into would have, I don't know, like maybe would have killed her. Like, because I think that there's a lot of instances of women, you know, in the days before there was choice allowed who ended up in asylums and things like that. And I think a lot of that was because of like no independence. I don't know. That's a bit dramatic. And I don't think that would have necessarily happened to Florence. But I think it's, she wasn't just, doing this for the sake of doing it. Like, I think it was like a deeper calling that she needed to have the independence. So she was willing to throw away so many of the trappings in order to gain that. Well, she's also very sexually free as we learn in this book. I mean, Mm -hmm. Clayton does show her things that she's never done before, but she is only 20, 21 in this book, but she's free sexually. So didn't women sometimes wind up in sanitariums because their family did not like them being quote unquote promiscuous? Right. I mean, that's something that happened too. So who knows? Like, again, I'm not trying to say that I don't want to bash her and I don't want to say that she had it easy, but when her, her grandma, when they're talking about leaving the house, the grandma was just saying, Oh, I mean, I have so many other places to go, but I would have liked to keep this. And I was just like, okay, well, the stakes need to be a little bit higher here for me to be invested in this house getting demolished. Well, I think that you're not necessarily supposed to be like invested in that house getting demolished. Like, I think that that just shows more of, of like Clayton's folly in, in, in thinking that he was accomplishing something with that, because ultimately he's not, because you're right. Florence is going to be fine. The grandmother's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. Like him having, and I feel like had he built his casino there, it wouldn't have been a victory. Like, I don't think he would have, he wouldn't have been a happier person. He wouldn't have gained the thing he thought it he thought he was gaining because his idea was she didn't want to sell and everybody else around sold. So he would have just built his casino like a horseshoe around the house. And Mm -hmm. it would have just been really loud and a bunch of degenerates hanging out around her place, but she still would have had the place. So even that until the end, when he finally is able to, swindle his way Clayton's able to swindle his way into actually buying the property mm-hmm. which was which was fun because that's the thing Clayton is he's wily and clever but at the end of the day powerless 
and he's made powerless by his need for revenge. And I think that hit very close to home. It might <laughs> be a reason why I couldn't like Clayton as much as I wanted to, because he's named after me and he's petty like me. And I wanted him to be more powerful. I wanted him to be a Derek who had that kind of, I'm going to be a success because, well, you know, because people looked at me as dirt and I want to be a success. But Clayton just had that motivation of revenge, which I did find to be very small and petty. And as much as he maneuvered his way into getting that revenge, it was at the end very anemic and he does end up with true love, which is great, and I'm proud of him. But I wish he was a more powerful guy. That he wasn't made weak by revenge. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, because I think it's... He's made weak by revenge and doesn't realize it, and then thinks he is made weak by his love of Florence, which is not true. And and he lucks out that she takes him back. Because if this wasn't a romance he very easily could have ended up alone having done his revenge. It ended up being such a waste, waste of 20 years. And then he's there hanging out with bald Jack, who seems like a good dude. Bald Jack is his partner, but I think that wouldn't be a great life. No, no, but ultimately, but I think like as the reader, we know that we know that the thing he's chasing is not something that he should actually get because it would not make him happy. But I I think the real star of this book is Florence. And I think that Joanna Shoup does an amazing job in this book, I think, of doing like kind of... um, a lot of like interestingly subversive things. I think in giving Clayton a revenge plot that is like truly is pretty nonsense where traditionally in these romance books, the, the revenge plot would be a lot stronger and it would be, it would make a lot more sense or on the surface would make a lot more sense. Um, and I think with Florence, Florence is unlike any heroine that we've seen in any historical romance up until now in that she is, you know, some having a heroine who's strong-willed, obviously we've seen that before, and even having a heroine that's not traditional. But I think having a heroine who has so much sexual agency from the jump, like she she likes sex, sort of the seemingly poor sex that she's had, but she enjoys it. She sees herself as a sexual creature. She sees herself as someone who will have you know, boyfriends, paramours, whatever they call them at that time, like kind of throughout her life. She does not want to get married. She doesn't want sort of the trappings that marriage will bring, but she wants to work hard and she wants to um, create something for herself. And she wants to be able to give back to her sex in a way that she would appreciate. And, and, because I don't want to knock any other books, but I think like the traditional thing, if you're like, oh, I want to have a heroine who helps other women, it would be like, let's have her be a suffragette. I live for suffragettes. That's not a dig. Or something else that's more traditional, but it's like, no, I want to give women a place to indulge their vices or and just relax and just have fun and just be able to be women in, in a space that isn't just a parlor or a ballroom is really exciting and interesting. And yeah, Florence is totally blind to her privilege in that she can just get the capital from her grandmother just by asking nicely. But I I don't necessarily think that that's a fault of hers. And I think that her intentions are good and who she is as a character is so interesting and that she wants to do the hard work because she's only 21 years old and she's going into gaming house to try to learn as much as possible. She isn't somebody who's just like, well, give me the money and I'll figure it out. I'll hire people like she wants to do the work herself. I yeah, love I, Florence. <laughs> I, I I know you were saying before we read this book that you were a big fan, and I like her. I will say I don't love her, but I do like her for all the reasons that you stated, because it is noble to use your privilege to forward other people. That's mm-hmm. That's the best case scenario for somebody like her is to, like you said, 
she is creating a place where women can do things that they're not allowed to do. And that opens a door that was closed. And her being able to do that is a privilege, but her doing it is a positive action. And so I love that about her. I also, I mean, let's get down to it. Like, I thought the sex scenes in this book were some of the best that I've read. The scene where, so they, it ha- it, c- it combines so many of my favorite tropes. <laughs> so Big Bill is I just this- want everyone to know that currently Clayton is has prayer hands over his heart. This is how excited he is. I'm praying to the romance gods. I'm thanking the romance gods <laughs> for this scene. So Big Bill is this jerk-off cop that Clayton had in his pocket, but then Big Bill got his britches too big and wanted more money, and Clayton said, uh, you know what? I don't want to give you any more money. You don't deserve any more money. You'll take what I give you. Shut the fuck up. Big Bill's like, okay, well, I don't like that. I'm going to try and really one-up you. So he he has the place raided, which everybody at the bronze knows what to do during a raid it's they're basically yawning when this happens but florence is there and clayton takes her into a secret passageway (laughs) which just that could have been enough for you right there and then they go into the brothel next door that's run by annabelle who is a friend of clayton's and they wind up in a room where they're able to peek into one of the bedrooms. And the these rooms are set up so that you can watch the sex going on because Clayton explains to Florence that some people like to be watched and some people like to watch. So this is something that happens there. And Florence saw sex like she'd never seen or experienced before. This was passionate this was no holds barred she'd never seen a woman sit on a man's face before this makes her nuts she could she didn't believe that that was something that happened she gets all worked up and she's trying to control herself because clayton's right behind her she can smell his smell there's like tobacco smell and all that and like his smells were intoxicating her and they have a mutual masturbation scene which is one of the best scenes that I've read, I think, it, having done this podcast. Because it did so much to bring them together, even though they were facing different ways. And after that scene, I was like, I got to put this down. I was like, I... <laughs> like, that was like, squirm, squirm city. So the other sex scenes in this are very good, too. But that one I just thought was like an all-timer, at least for the books that I've read. I agree. I think of all the books that I've read, that's one of the sexiest. Yeah. That's one of the sexiest for sure. I think the only other one is, I mean, I think Tops is still maybe the rogue not taken. In as the far as like, yeah, well, when he when she's explaining to him what she saw and he's doing oh, it to her. That's, that is a... That's an all time. That's a top. Yeah. These I would are say these two five. are like, yeah. Oh, I mean, I would say these are one and two. And any day yeah. could be flippy floppy. I think it, 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 it did the, yeah. I'm like specious. It did the thing that sex scenes in romance needs to do, where it furthered the characters, it furthered the story. It was sexy. It was unique it was different it showed you learned so much about clay and you learned so much about florence in that scene on top of it being like a hundred percent squirmy loved it it was it was perfection i that was perfect and i yeah i would say the sex in the rest of the book was was still also really good they were constantly trying to have sex through clothes which is great they had bathtub sex love it that was awesome um yeah so this is a very steamy book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, in in that scene, in that scene in the in the 
closet, the voyeur scene, they don't even touch each other. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like this this book, I think, was so good and so fun. And the both of the, you know, at Steamy Sex, both of the characters were, I think, fully drawn you know, mm-hmm. to Clayton's detriment, you know, to see him being so obsessed with this really kind of flaccid revenge. But I think that was the thing. And I, I, I can't do this because it's not fair, but it's the, it's the comparison the compare leads to despair in this case for me where yeah. he's just not Derek and I wanted him to be, but no one's ever going to be. But I also think, like, it's interesting that he is, like, a full, very flawed person where Derek also has his flaws, but he's almost, like, a mythical, like, in his, like, greatness and everything. And I think Clayton is a human being. We Wait, the other super hot scene was her 22nd birthday. He <sighs> rents. A- <laughs> yeah, I, rents I guess. A- <laughs> he rents out an entire male only like drinking establishment gets her drinks and you know has her try a new drink that she loves and then shows her this sexy painting the um nymphs and Sauter, and sort of describes the whole thing to her uh, describes the painting in a very sexy way of basically these these nymphs have caught this solder uh, watching them bathe and so he, they're t- taking him to dunk in the water and and the reason that they don't want any men to see that uh, they don't want any women to see this paintings because they'll see sort of the collective uh, power of of women sort of when they work together which is sort of what she wants to do with her casino but also he basically turns it into just talking dirty to her while he like gets her off in the chair and it was incredibly it was insanely sexy and that, did the same thing yeah of forwarding everything absolutely because that like you said that painting represented their their relationship because at the end he buys her that painting mm-hmm. which is which is great. And the fact, I guess, you know, it is hard to be Florence because she had to be smuggled in to see a painting. Like she was just not allowed to walk up and look at a painting. That was something yeah. that was kept from her because, like you said, men were worried of the power of it and and more broadly, the power of women. He ends up giving his shares of the bronze house of his casino to Ball Jack, who starts running it and basically helps is like a silent partner with Florence where sort of he gives her advice and stuff, but doesn't really have any power um, on her uh, Le Maison Argent, which is the silver house. And uh, yeah, he sort of recognizes the power there, which I love. But it's also... You see in him describing the painting to her, he, he, you see that he sees her in a way that no one else in her life does, you know, which made yeah. it really beautiful. Well, the great thing, too, is that Clayton had said, if I ever hurt you, I'll give you the bronze. And so mm-hmm. as a way to try and win Florence back, he gives her the deed to the bronze, which she will not take. Because she says, no, you're missing the point. I don't want the bronze. I want my own thing where only women can be. If I take over the bronze, all these dirty dudes are just going to be hanging out. That's not my dream. That's not what I want. I want something that is in my image, not something that was in your image. And Mm -hmm. that was a huge deal, too, because the bronze was super profitable, super well-known. She would have made bank, and she would have been incredibly powerful being the new head of this popular gambling hell. And she said, no, this needs to be the way I want it to be. And that's what I'm going to do. And Clayton, like Clayton did find power in letting go of what he perceived to make him powerful or what he was using to wield power over people, which was, 
I mean, there is still, I'm sure, a lot of under-the-table stuff going on at the Silver House. You know, you had to pay off the cops because gambling was illegal. Pay off the cops, mm-hmm. own a few people at Tammany Hall or whatever it's called. But he was really like, Big Bill, you cross me. I'm ruining your life. I'm taking away where you live. I'm ruining your marriage. I'm going to do all these horrible things to you, which is complete overkill. And I think Clayton learned that's just petty. You you can be strong and powerful without holding people down under your thumb so strongly. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think you're really hitting on something that's interesting it, too, is that you know, the bronze house, it was built for men, sort of, it was only the things you could see that like the customers could see was beautiful. Everything else was kind of dingy. Um, There was this violence aspect to it. There was a lot of people, guards and things like that. And we only really see Florence's casino for a little bit at the end. But the things you learn about it is like every aspect of it, it is beautiful. She doesn't only do it for the customers but sort of anywhere you go within the casino it's it's beautiful and it was designed by the heroine of a previous book of um joanna shoops um eva mansfeld the who's an architect yeah i mean i think if we're looking at through that sort of like feminist lens which is like kind of the you know which i think makes a lot of sense it's like yeah women come in and they hire other women they build up other women they make sort of every aspect of something beautiful not just sort of the thing that you can see and then there's this ugliness behind the closed doors like it was a place where you saw women being really free and open sort of she's watching the floor she doesn't allow any men on the floor including Clayton like when it's open I guess when it's closed he can do what he wants but because she understands the need for women to have a space that is all entirely their own and, uh, you know, again, I was reading the Goodreads list and there were sort of the Goodreads things. And, and there were people saying like, oh, but gambling, you know, you have to shake people down for money and things like that. And it's like, I don't really think that that is something that would happen at the at Florence's house as much as it would at Clayton's. I think it's just like men and women, their intrinsic differences. I don't feel like there would need to be that same level of violence associated with it. Not that women can't be violent. Women can be violent, and women can be awful. And women can they be can awful be whatever to each other they want to be, including they can be whatever they want to be. Oh, totally. But yeah, and I, I really love that sort of juxtaposition and sort of that the giving up of revenge and the accepting love into your life is sort of what brings the happiness. And he ended up ultimately owning a baseball team. Big question: Would you fuck them? Uh, before we do that, I do just want to like touch on another unique part of this book where it oh, ends sure. with, sorry, it just ends with Florence really celebrating the accomplishment of her dream and it doesn't involve marriage and it doesn't involve babies. Like they are living together basically in sin and you see that they probably will do that for the rest of their lives, but that Florence doesn't want to doesn't feel the need to buy into sort of any traditional ideas. And part of that could be if she got married, everything would start belonging to Clayton. But I really loved seeing an alternative epilogue like you do in this book and showing that happily ever after doesn't mean marriage necessarily. It doesn't mean babies like it does for some people, but not for everybody. And and everyone gets their own happily ever after, however they want to create it. So I appreciated that too, just to put a button on, why I loved this book. So, would you fuck them? Yes, and yes. I mean, come on, get real. Yes. I would have to, because he has my same name, and how (laughs) rarely do you get to fuck somebody with your same name? Probably very rarely, I would think. Well, no, you know what? Actually, maybe not. I mean, it's probably... Same-sex couples, it probably happens. Yeah. So... I mean, yeah, I, I fuck both of them. Yeah, they both sounded hot. They both seemed really great at sex. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's yeah. a slam doink, of course. It's both. <laughs> so we'll do Goodreads list. Yes. On a shockingly small amount of list. 
Well, Which I don't know if are people like sleeping on this book or it's just so new. You know, I'm a baby. I'm a baby. Like we said, I'm I'm seven months old. So You're this right. book came out when I was born. So it's a very important book to me. And mm-hmm. I, I think maybe that skews that that skews my interpretation of how yeah. many people should have written a Goodreads list for this book. So uh, first list, Gilded Age Romances. Yes, this this is late late nineteenth century, correct? Yeah, like eighteen eighties, eighteen seventies, eighteen eighties. Yeah. Um, my favorite historical romance. I mean, it'd be on a list. I, it wouldn't be the number one necessarily, but if I was making a a list, yeah, this would be there. Okay. I think I lost you for a second. What was that list again? Oh, sorry. My favorite historical romance. Oh, okay. I thought you were about to say what your favorite historical romance was, and then you oh. didn't say it. But I could see that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. This could be, you know, definitely definitely best named hero. To- yeah. We need to have a list just called Clayton. Yeah. Best rogue rake romance books. Not a rogue no. or a rake. He hadn't had sex with anyone in, in a year and also seemed like sex and was not something that was on his radar. His main focus was revenge. Yeah. We have we didn't talk about, but I just want to say, like, so Annabelle is his best friend and she runs the brothel next door and they have sort of like a symbiotic relationship. I loved that he had, like a female best friend and there was no sexual tension and there was no talk about sexual tension and they just sort of like loved each other and were there for each other in a real way. Oh yeah. It's just nice. You don't see that very often. They were two small business owners Mm -hmm. that looked out for each other. Yeah. He, I mean, and, and definitely cared about each other. I think she really, you know, held him to task and stuff, especially when it came to stuff with Florence and tried to, you know, wanted what was best for him. A hundred historical romances to read before you die. Guess how many books are actually on this list? Is it over a hundred? It's twelve hundred. <laughs> My brain broke. So is this on your top twelve hundred historical romances to read before you die? <laughs> it's gotta be. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's in the top 100 as well, but it just made me laugh because I was like, well, how many are on this list? And a ton. Someone named that list and then frantically just added everything that they liked and and did not count. But there's no way well, you could other people at... can add to the list. Wait, what is it? So you create a list, but anyone can then add a book to that list. But if it's like a public list, if that list says a hundred, right, we have to agree to stop at a hundred, or we have chaos. <laughs> See, this is the issue with the world; it's excess. <laughs> if a list says a hundred, keep to a hundred, then make a second list that says another one hundred to read before you die, instead of piling onto this one list because. That's anarchy. That's chaos. I agree. But also, keep it on the list. I mean, if you're doing a top 100, yes. If you're doing a top 1,200, certainly. What number is it? Oh, I don't know. Do you want to take the time for me to look it up? Are they they numbered on the Goodreads lists? Yeah, it's numbered. Do you want to guess what number it is? Okay, well, is is it out of the top 100? Yes. 516th it is 834th out of 1264 books all right so sorry it (laughs) it should be higher therefore your Uh list is invalidated so this list shouldn't exist can you delete a list no my name isn't aaron goodreads i don't have that kind of power here's what we should do we should see if we can use our considerable clout as a romance podcast to be guest editors for Goodreads for a day. 
and say mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna clean house and we're gonna edit some <laughs> of these lists and uh clean up this mess that is goodreads that has just been ungoverned for too long i think this is something okay. we should pitch to goodreads i think they would love it if we're just like we want to have less on your platform and they would say yeah sure that's what we're yeah. all going for we'll take care of this little corner and uh-huh and uh make sure it's nice and tidy all right clayton what are your tropes hidden places mm-hmm. secret pla- passageways peepholes voyeurism <laughs> mutual masturbation <laughs> rich heroin it's always on one scene <laughs> yes rich heroin <laughs> bootstrap hero because he did lift himself up by his bootstraps Hero okay. wants revenge on heroin's family, which, I mean, of course, since I'm just a little virgin, I've never read a book like that. There are others. I'm sure there's got to be because it's a trope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gambling hell. New York City, baby. <laughs> and fresh sense of pining hero because he does pine for her. Oh, totally. And that's my tropes. Aaron, what are your tropes? voyeurism a gilded age new york city romance uh my soul is too dark for you i feel like he thinks and or says that so many times where it's like my soul is black which is like no it's not clayton you like to have fun uh woman with a plan teach me she goes originally to clayton for him to teach her to tutor her uh i need to destroy your family oops i fell in love with you it happens uh, wrong side of the tracks, class differences, casino romance, the grovel. He grovels kind of twice at the end, which is pretty great. Um, giving up everything for love. He gives up basically all of his power in 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 handing over the bronze house. Tub sex, because they have sex in a tub. Dating in secret. So she sort of like is um, sneaking out of her house to go see him at night. Grand gestures, revenge, uh, purposely entering into an affair. I like he says to her early, like, listen, I'm attracted to you. Um, And then proposes having an affair with her and she accepts. Um, Mutual masturbation and kick-ass grandmothers. Yes. I feel like Clayton would be really into kind of goth music. If it was mm-hmm. if he lived later in life, he'd be a big cure Bauhaus. I know that's division. what I was gonna say. Like, yeah, nobody ever let Clayton Madden listen to the Cure. It'd be too much. Oh, It'd be exhausting he... for all of us. Uh, Clayton, what has you suiting this week? So I we were talking about this before the show. We were both having uh, difficulties finding something to swoon about. Yeah, it's been a rough week. It's been a rough week, so I'm going to do something unprecedented. I'm going to swoon about a book that we read for this podcast that I can't get out of my head. And it was two episodes ago, and it was Strange Love by Anna Guire. <laughs> and I love that book so much, and I really love that episode. And I would say... If you haven't read Strange Love, I'm saying do it. I'm saying mm-hmm. if us doing a whole podcast episode about it wasn't enough for you, me swooning about it should push you over the edge if you have not read it. So I'm going to cannibalize ourselves in a weird way and say my swoon for this week is Anne Aguirre's Strange Love. Just read it. And if you want to know what we thought about it, listen to two episodes ago where we talked about it. But I agree that is a fantastic book. Aaron, what are you swooning about? You know, we talked about that this week was a pretty hard week to find something to swoon about. I will say, even though I was rejected for the arc of the next book in this series, The Devil of Downtown, I'm going to swoon about how excited I am to read that book. Um. And then another book that I read this week that I did get at the arc of is Daring in the Duke, which is the third of Sarah McLean's Bare Knuckle Bastard series. And it is absolutely fantastic. There's 
it's the book that I've been waiting for sort of throughout this whole series. It's so good. It's a, like a childhood friends to enemies to lovers. There's a brothel. There's a woman in pants. There's sort of everything that you want. Um, I'm absolutely loving it. I'm about halfway through, um, but it's already extraordinarily swoon-worthy. So if you haven't pre-ordered that, pre-order it now. If you haven't read uh, Wicked in the Wallflower or um, Brazen and the Beast, catch yourself on and go ahead, get those, read those, be ready for when Daring and the Duke comes out later this month um, because it is a a fantastic read and you won't regret it. and also, we I want to sort of let everybody know we're going to be doing a very special live Zoom, live to Zoom episode um, on Thursday, June 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern with Faded Mates. So we're doing a live podcast taping with them. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun with Sarah and Jen. Um, we are going to have games you will have the link in our show notes if you want to sign up to to join us to view it we have uh you have to sign up through the eventbrite and then you're sent the zoom link um but it is free so there's no cost associated with it but uh, i think it'll be a good time yeah it's gonna be a lot of fun i've never done a live zoom before i've never done a zoom before i'm i'm zooming for the first time for you guys (laughs) Clayton was very afraid of Zoom, and so he finally has got over his fear of Zoom in order to Zoom with Faded Mates. So I think that's worth it alone. No, I'm still afraid of Zoom. Okay, sorry. And I don't think this will do anything to dampen my fear. But sometimes you have to do things that you're afraid of in order to move Mm -hmm. forward in life. Exactly. In order to appease your podcast co-host. Spoken like a true Clayton. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so watch sort of this space for more about that um sign up through the link uh there's going to be an opportunity for audience questions we're going to be doing some visual games so you don't want to miss it Aaron, where can they find us? So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That's how people find us. We really appreciate it whenever anyone takes the time to do it. Um, If you want to email us anything, your book recommendations, what you thought of something we said, uh, anything, how your day is going, you can always just email us at learningthetropespodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Learning Tropes and on Instagram at Learning the Tropes. Our Facebook group is the Learning the Tropes Troop. So we talk about episodes there. I don't know, all kinds of fun stuff. Come on by. It'll be fun. Uh, and then finally, Learning the Tropes is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media podcast. Bye, everybody.